So we're back into the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, as we continue to talk about building wisely. And our subject matter tonight is laying on of hands, beginning in the first verse of the book of Hebrews chapter 6, reading down through the third verse. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine doctrine of baptism, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. In the first verse, the word discussion is there because the writer of the book of Hebrews was wondering how they got this far along in their relationship with Jesus and weren't quite established or rooted or grounded yet in the primary or fundamental principles of Christ. So he wanted to have a discussion with him. He wanted to hear where they were, uh, questions that they had, and thus one of the reasons that I've incorporated that in our time together. We've already talked about weeks ago, if you were to walk in and someone was to hand you a blank sheet of paper and there was the question that was posed, can you list the six principles of Christ as they're found in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2? Most of us would probably get a percentage right, but maybe not a 100%. And so it warrants a discussion. Uh, first of all, it warrants us looking at see, seeing what Scripture has to say about each and every one of these because they're all very important including the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands is a precious and and at times very misunderstood means where God imparts grace to us today. Uh, We can see both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the laying on of hands is mentioned numerous times. And uh, while the laying on of hands is is often overlooked, it is a a foundational biblical truth. And it's, it's properly placed within this setting. Now, I think it's so uh, amazing that God put the laying on of hands after repentance from dead works, faith towards God, and the doctrine of baptisms. And this, this, uh, this position of the laying on of hands shows that God is a God of a personal touch. It's not just dogma or doctrine that that we're trying uh, to understand. It's understanding the ways of God. And we can understand the word of God and we can understand theology and we can understand doctrine and really miss out on the way in which God interacts and blesses and transmits something spiritual or tangible into our life. But through the laying on of hands, we can't study this subject matter and walk away and not know that God is a God of a personal touch, that God cares about us. When Jesus was in the crowd and a woman touched him, there was the acknowledgement by Jesus that somebody touched me. The woman with the issue of blood touched him. And through that touch, she was made whole. 
Scripture says virtue flowed from Jesus into the woman with the issue, issue of blood. That, that's an amazing transaction that happened. So this physical act of laying on of hands uh, actually transmits a spiritual impartation into our lives. And let's take a look at, at some of these impartations. There's the imparting of a blessing, the healing of the sick, the ordination of those who are called and qualified for ministry, the receiving, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the impartation of spiritual gifts. These are mentioned not only in the New Testament, but they're also scattered throughout the Old Testament. And I've given you multiple verses to look at, but let's first and foremost go to the book of Genesis, chapter 27, And I want to talk about the imparting of a blessing and how significant it was and continues to be. Genesis 27. And I've given you the account of Isaac when he blesses Jacob. But there's a brother that should have received that blessing. His name was Esau. And that's where I want to pick up the story because Jacob, Jacob, not only got the birthright, but got the blessing that rightfully belonged to Esau. Now, Esau forfeited the birthright for a bowl of stew. But the way that Jacob ended up getting his father's blessing was through deceit or craftiness. And now we're going to pick up the story as Esau comes in from hunting. His father is well-aged. His vision is not good. He's not strong. He's in, he's bedfast. And his son comes in to feed him a meal and to receive a blessing. He believes that's why he's coming. He doesn't know what Jacob has done. He doesn't know what's already transpired. And so he comes in from the field and we're going to pick up in the 34th verse. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, me also, my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has surplanted or supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he says, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained them. What shall I do for you now, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. There's only one point that really needs to be made when it comes to transmitting a blessing generationally. It's what our kids want more than anything else. Let me say that again. I want every eye on me. It's what your kids want more than anything else. It doesn't matter how they behaved, how they conducted themselves. They can't earn this. But we have the privilege as parents, as Christian parents, to pass on a blessing to our children. 
for them to hear words of blessing, for them to encounter the experience of a loving touch. They're not perfect and neither are we. We all need the blessing of the Lord. The blessing of the Lord, Scripture says, makes rich. It adds tremendous value to your family. And I want to encourage you, do everything that you can to bless your children. Everything. When you have an opportunity to lay hands on them, include a blessing with it. Speak a blessing to them. When you have an opportunity, no matter how old they are, no matter how angry they've been, disobedient, even rebellious, even just out and out rebellious, what they want more than anything else is to hear from you that you ask God to bless them. Okay, number two, healing of the sick. Let's go to Acts 28 and verse 8. Acts 28 and verse 8. Paul and his companions have just spent several nights out in the open sea. had a 14 days afloat on the sea and they are now on land in the island of Malta. And there is a leader of the people there named Publius, and it says in verse 8, and it happened that the, the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. And Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him, and he healed him. We can see uh, these, these were, were probably a, a people that really maybe hadn't encountered the gospel. They were very superstitious. Uh, Paul, when they landed on this, this island, they were wet and they were cold and they started a fire and you know the account, the snake came out of the, out of the woodwork and attached itself to Paul's hand and he shook the, the snake off and all of the, the people in that particular village just stood around and waited for him to drop dead and he didn't drop dead and, and because of that, they, they, you know, thought that he was some kind of, of God and, and he had the opportunity to share the gospel. But one of the things that he discovered was that the leader of these particular people, his father was sick and, and very sick. Uh, you talk about uh, the things that could cause death at this time in history. Dysentery is one of them. And he went in there and he laid hands on him. And this man was blessed and he recovered. This was a physical act of faith that imparted a spiritual virtue that caused this man's condition to change. From being a death sentence to he was raised up again and experienced life. This is the ministry of the laying on of hands that God has entrusted to the church today. Also in your notes, you can see that this is part of the great commission that Jesus left unto us. They, believers, will lay hands on the sick and what will happen? They will recover. And thanks be to God for that. Amen. But we have to lay hands on the sick in order for them to recover. And we do that. Believing, because that's what believers do. We believe that when we lay hands on the sick, that there, through that physical act of faith, there's a spiritual impartation that takes place. There's a spiritual impartation that happens. 
what a blessing that is. So faith is a very important part of this. All right, number three, the ordination of those who are called and qualified for ministry. Acts chapter 13, if you just want to turn back a few pages. In verse 1, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, uh, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius, Cyrene, Manin, and, and who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, and as they ministered to the Lord, and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And they have fasted and prayed, laid hands on them, and they sent them away. And so here we see that that there was a time in this uh, in this early gathering of of church ministers where there were were those that were called, and then there were those that were being separated unto that call. And we can see this take place here in the book of Acts. And then we can see the receiving of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it, uh, many examples in the book of Acts, but we're going to look at the one that's recorded for us in Acts chapter 19. So this is 20 years, roughly 20 years, after the day of Pentecost. And we know what took place on the day of Pentecost, Scripture says in Acts chapter 2. And on the day of Pentecost, uh, there were 120 that were gathered in the upper room, and then there came a sound from heaven, and and it filled the whole room where they were all were sitting, and there were appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire, and uh, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance or gave them the words. So this was a time of God pouring out of his Spirit that the prophet Joel had foretold about, and now we see the fulfilling of it on the day of Pentecost. And so we see the fulfilling of prophecy, but going forward, it wasn't just for those 120 that were in the upper room. It was to go on to other people groups. And here we are, and the Apostle Paul is traveling in the upper coast or the northern region of, of Ephesus, and he comes across some people who have heard about John's baptism and he begins to have a conversation or a discussion with them about spiritual matters and where they were in their walk with the Lord. And then he says in this, and it happened while Apollos, this is verse 1, was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So apparently, you know, they had heard the gospel, but they hadn't heard about the fullness of God's spirit. And they said to him, we have not so much heard uh, whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said that unto them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him whom would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That would be water baptism. And uh, when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke with tongues and they prophesied. Here we see once again that when the Apostle Paul was having this, this discussion with these early disciples and believers, he located where they were through a conversation and then he helped them to know that there was more that God had for them. And then by spending some time in instructing them, they were at a place where they all, you know, were in agreement that uh, they wanted more of what God had for them. He laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So the same Spirit that brought them in 
to the body of Christ was now filling them so that they could be a witness and have a powerful witness for the person of Christ. And so this is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And we talked about it to a degree last week and I gave you multiple references. But once again, we can see that the physical act of laying on of hands allowed a spiritual impartation of God's spirit to manifest in the life of these early disciples. Now, I need to remind you that faith is always a part of how every transaction with God occurs. Outside of God just sovereignly doing something, which he has the right to do, and he does do occasionally, most of the interactions that take place between God and man are through the means or the avenue of faith. And that's why Paul took some time to see where they were and to see where their hunger level was so that he could minister to them and they could receive more of what God had for them. If that was the pattern, then that's something that we can learn from and that we can include in how we disciple people, how we encourage people, and how we locate people. Can I get an amen? All right. And then, thank you for that amen. And then the last is the spiritual uh, impartations of a spiritual gift. In Second Timothy Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. The Apostle Paul, this is the last letter that he wrote. He's writing to his son in the faith who is going through some very difficult times in ministry. And he says in verse 6, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Through the laying on of my hands. And then he reminds him in verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. So he was reminding Timothy in the midst of his hardship, in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the things that he was encountering as a pastor in the city of Ephesus, that he had to stir himself up and remind himself that when hands were laid on him, there was a spiritual gift or an impartation that went into him. And it would sustain him during this time of tribulation, during this time of persecution and difficulty. But he had to stir that up. He had to stir it up. So, Father, I just thank you for your faithfulness. And uh, can you just thank the Lord with me? And we're going to look at one other portion of Scripture. Just take a moment. Let's just thank the Lord for this fundamental principle of laying hands on the sick. Thank you, Lord, that you included this right in the midst of repentance and of faith and of baptism. You're a God that is hands-on. And you work through us. You work through our hands to be a blessing to humanity. And we're careful to give you the thanks and the glory. Amen. Josh, you can keep it rolling. And there's just one warning. There's one warning when it comes to laying hands on people. And it's not laying hands on the sick. We're to do that as often as we can. And as as much as people permit us to, we should be laying hands. It has nothing to do with a blessing. It has nothing to do, you know, with those things. But it does have to do with ordination. It has to do with affirming, identifying, and and separating someone unto the work of the ministry. And the, the, the Apostle Paul told Timothy, don't lay hands on anyone suddenly. Now, you have to understand once again that in context he was saying that don't separate 
everyone just because they have zeal or they have passion or they have a good personality or they have giftedness. There's qualifications for ministry. And he said when someone, you know, has a genuine call in their life and you can identify that call by the way they conduct themselves and the character of Christ that's being developed in their life, then prove that individual out. There's a season of testing or proving. And then once they have been approved, then they're ready for you to lay hands on them and separate them. But don't do it prematurely. He said, don't do it hastily. Now, here's something that I want to say. As parents, we can bless our kids. We can bless our kids, lay our hands on our kids, speak blessings over our kids. But you cannot, and I cannot as a parent, qualify or call our kids in the ministry. I've had people throughout the years say, if, if you would just help my son or help my daughter or, you know, I feel like God's hand is on them to get in ministry or help them. And my response to that is they, T-H-E-Y, they have to make their calling an election sure. When they do that, then God by his Holy Spirit will reveal when the time and when the season for them to be separated for their calling was, just like he did for the ministers in Acts chapter 13. We can't lay hands on people prematurely because we like them, because we love them, because they have a good personality, because they're cute, because they're funny, because they're witty, because they're talented. We can only lay hands on people because something, something is very sacred about that. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.